This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast with Robert Vore and Steve Austin. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. CX, ugh, that's terrible. God, I'm getting worse and worse. <laughs> no, you leave it. <laughs> I'm getting worse and worse. People are going to, if you've only listened to the last three episodes, you're like, what are these? It's trash idiots? every time. Oh, it's garbage. Who gave these morons a microphone? Ugh. Oh my gosh. Love hey. it. What's up, buddy? <laughs> Wait, I didn't introduce you. Oh, 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 excuse me. I'm sorry. Hey. <laughs> Let's just, that's fine. We'll just. <laughs> no, do it. <laughs> you better not edit any of this. You leave all this garbage in here. People are going to turn it off. I love it. Don't turn that radio dial. There's more. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Robert Vore. I'm what? your host. And <laughs> you I'm just here. did this. Is this Groundhog Day? What's I, going on? I can, I can edit all you out. Hey, I'm here with my co-host, Flipper Longstocking. Flipper, how are you Flipper today? Longstocking is coming. Did you ever watch Pippi Longstocking? Uh, I the did. movie? Uh, no. You're I don't, too young. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, man. Pippi Longstocking is coming into your world. A freckle-faced redhead girl. You ought to know. Oh, what a great movie. I'm going to have to introduce that to Ben. Oh, Pippi she went on such great adventures and got in all kind of trouble, and she was the bomb. This went on too much of a tangent. I'm going to redo it with a different name. That's You, you went too far off. Negative. Hey, I'm Flipper Robert Moore, and I'm here with my co-host. <laughs> you will is, not. Who, <laughs> fine, I have a great inter- funny one. He just introduced this 12 times. <laughs> I have a great whatever. <laughs> Uh, Flipper Longstocking is awesome. I'll save my other one for next week then. It's that's too you got the you got the Flipper show and the Pippi Longstocking movie all in one name. It's Maybe pretty awesome. In the gritty reboot, it'll be the adventures of Pippi Longstocking, but it will be a dolphin. The gritty reboot. Well, that's what you do nowadays, right? You make a, a gritty reboot of Power Rangers and you know everything else in the world. Did you go see that? No, I did not. Man, I was hoping. I can't wait for the gritty reboot of CXMH where... (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to know what Cinnamon's going to do in that one. (laughs) Dibs on The Rock playing me. The Rock. Yeah. We look pretty similar in terms of uh, amount of muscles. Physical features, sure. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Dude, I just finished 13 Reasons Why at Midnight last night. Yeah, you did. How you feeling? Wow. Wow. Um, oh my goodness. So today I'm, I'm putting out, because this is Monday, I'm putting out um, my thoughts on it. 
and they're pretty balanced. I'm pretty honest um, with what I think, pros and cons, um, and some tips for parents and stuff like that. Um, sure. I think it's it should be overwhelming and it should be uncomfortable, and it is, and it is. Uh, a friend asked me if I liked it, and I said, "Ooh, I can't use the word like. No, not like, but I think it's a hell of a conversation starter." Yeah. I wouldn't let my kids watch it, not by themselves. Yeah. No yeah, way. I was at a um, – there's a group of local youth pastors that have lunch once a month and talk about you know various things, and they asked me to come uh, last week. And so this past Thursday, I went and hung out with them, which was awesome. I actually – I find youth pastors really encouraging because adolescents I love, and they're in like the thick of relational ministry, you know? Yes. Uh, and so they are – and this isn't a slam on anybody else, but they're they're very willing to engage with – Hey, what do I do here? What, what, you know, I, I don't know all the answers to things. So they're very mm-hmm. willing to engage and ask questions and learn. Uh, whereas people in other, I'm not, you know, this is Are not always painting like with that. broad brushes here, but, you know, they're not necessarily in the thick of relational ministry with, you know, adolescents and things. So it was really yeah. encouraging. But I, they had a lot of questions about, uh, my thoughts on 13 Reasons Why and and the issues surrounding it and how to a- approach those conversations and things like that. So it was some good conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, wow. There's drama. There's, um, I, I think they handle high school life well. Uh, it's been 16 years for me, but from what I remember, <laughs> right. Hey, when from what your, I rem- have you got your AARP card yet? Is that coming in the mail soon? Did you just um, bleep out what I just said to you? Good. So, um, <laughs> it. But what I remember of it, and then what I know of of it from my years in youth ministry, they do high school drama really well. And it's not just a show about suicide. You have two count them two rape scenes, and you have bullying like in a major way, and um. Hey, dude, really uncomfortable. I had to turn my eyes um, both times in the rape scenes, and I could not watch the the final scene. I had to fast forward through it. Yeah, I've I haven't finished watching it. I'll, you know, total transparency. Kind of by design, I'm kind of uninterested. I started watching it, and the entire vibe of like this revengey type suicide, right? Like I'm gonna get back at everybody by leaving these clever pithy things i don't know it the whole thing kind of turned me off and uh, but i've listened to a fair amount of commentary on it um our friends over at the um the jedi council podcast they did like a three-part series on it and i listened through that and i've read uh, a bunch of you know people i respect in the mental health world and then the uh suicide prevention social media uh chat that happens i they did a chat about it uh, a couple weeks back and so I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on a lot of the things in there. And I, from what I watched and uh, from what I've read, they did do high school life justice. Uh, the whole thing having kind of a revenge vibe turned me off pretty hardcore. And it, it just it made me pretty uninterested in watching the rest of it, to be honest. So maybe That's I'll, the difference maybe in I'll us. I've it. not listened to or read any commentary on it. Yeah, None whatsoever. Just watched it, but I get that, and that was my vibe in the first probably three or four episodes. I was like, man, this is this is strange that 
like this girl was so premeditated with her revenge. I've, I, that's the word I would have used too. But as I got further in it, I don't see it that way. I see it as a girl saying, change this, fix this, open your eyes, look at how you're treating people, look at the message that you're sending either by action of these students or by inaction of the administration, the school counselor, parents, all of that. Let's let's wake up because this is a huge freaking problem. Sure. It's just different for me. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. at the, no, at the same I mean, time, I think there's a lot I of conversations am, happening. I love TV drama. And this is <laughs> this is TV. If you took out the suicide part of it and it was just like high school drama, it's like total high school drama. So that part of it I'm attracted to anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. The first, yeah. I mean, the, the bits I watched, I was like, this has a, an ABC family, ABC I family. I guess it's yep. free form. The now, newer Hallmark like a, channel stuff. Yeah. Like a pretty little liars kind of. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. The fosters. It kind of feels like that. Sure. Yep. Oh, Hey, we, we get to do a shout out to uh, one of our new spokespeople at the beginning of the episode last week. There was a, a clip of your son Ben uh, welcoming us to the show. <laughs> oh if anybody man! Anybody was wondering what that was. Like, what the heck was that? Yep, that was Ben. Ben is, Ben is. He's just me. He's just he's just my little shrunk down to miniature size clone. So that is true. You sent me a picture loads of personality of you and him, and you were wearing a full <clears throat> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles costume, which was awesome. But he was with you, and sure. I literally I thought. Holy cow, that kid looks like a small Steve. Yep, just, that's how uh, it goes. And he acts just like me. It is exhausting. <laughs> I can tell by how much I had to edit out of when he had the microphone. Uh, it's like seeing my brain running around. I'm like, wow, that is that. That is my brain all the time right there. That that's kid, awesome. That five-year-old. Hey, Ed Bacon, though, this is a great – what did we talk about? We talked about meditation and prayer we did. We talked about the the impact of meditation and prayer on your mental health, and I knew it would be, and it was a fascinating conversation. Yeah, I was unfamiliar with Ed uh, in general. It actually kind of works out sometimes where the some of the people that I reach out to, you're unfamiliar with and vice versa, and so it's really interesting. Some of my favorites are when one of us all of a sudden goes, hey, I didn't know who this person was before this, but they're awesome which I feel yep. like happens pretty frequently. And yep. that's I walked away from this thinking, man, that was just a great episode. Because I came into it, and what we had talked about was meditation, which is, I mean, we don't go really in depth with what we're going to talk about with each other sometimes. And so uh, I walked into it a little leery, to be honest. You know, like, hey, I'm yeah. not sure how this fits, but it was uh-huh. fantastic. And when we talk meditation, we... You know, we line it up with a lot of, you know, other mindfulness and prayer and connecting with God and stuff. And so uh, I think it was a, a really interesting and just fascinatingly beneficial episode. This dude's a big deal. Umpteen years in ministry, Saints Episcopal Church in Pasadena. He's um, been on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah, like buds, like buds, like BFFs with Desmond Tutu. Like he's a. He's a cool guy, so we were just super honored to be able to have him on the show, him fit us in his schedule, and just impart wisdom and grace and truth, and I just, I love Ed Bacon. I'm, I swear I'm his biggest fan, so I'm excited to share this one with the great big wide interweb. 
Well, here is our episode with Reverend Ed Bacon. Enjoy. Welcome back to the CXMH podcast, a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. I'm Steve Austin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Robert Vore. Hey. Robert, welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's so fun to be on the other side and do the intro. It's always your gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, I'm super pumped about having... Uh, Ed Bacon on today. The Reverend Ed Bacon is a priest of the Episcopal Church, that's U.S. Anglican, and a voice on issues of faith and justice for all. Until his retirement in May 2016, Bacon was rector of All Saints Church in Pasadena, California, which is a 4,000-member parish with a reputation for energetic worship and a progressive peace and justice agenda. He's also the author of Eight Habits of Love. Ed has been a regular guest host on Oprah Winfrey's Soul Series on Oprah and Friends Radio and a guest panelist in the Spirituality 101 segment of Oprah Winfrey's show, Living Your Best Life. Miss Winfrey recently named Ed Bacon a soul teacher on her Super Soul 100 list a collection of a hundred awakened leaders who are using their voices to elevate humanity. Ed Bacon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Steve. It's great to be with you. Oh, well, I'm just so excited. Robert, Ed and I met at a gathering at a friend's house here in Birmingham, and he shared about his book. And then we had this Q&A where people just got to ask whatever was on their heart, whatever they've been struggling with or thinking about. And um, for a guy with a bio like I just shared, for a guy who has a book with a blurb about the book written by Desmond Tutu, um, Ed is just the most humble, kindest guy you would ever meet. So super, super pumped to have you on the show today. Thanks. That's quite a compliment. Well, that's the truth. Well, why don't you start with just sharing a, a bit about you? Tell us more than just the bio. Give us a bit of your story. Sure. I, I, I grew up in a, a little town in southeast Georgia, Jessup, Georgia, and was born to a wonderful set of parents who, interestingly enough, were engaged in both religion, education, and politics. My father was a principal of a public school. My mother was a school teacher. And at, uh, he also was the pastor of a Southern Baptist church. And later in his life, as his career developed and evolved, he ran for office as the superintendent of schools. So I lived in this wonderful um, crucible of thinking about religion and education and politics all the time. And so that is kind of in my blood right there. I think that one informs the other. Um, fast forward, uh, when after I'd gone to high school, my father made me go to his alma mater, which was Mercer University in Macon, Georgia, which was is and still is a Southern Baptist uh, rooted school. And there I fell in with some wonderful professors who taught me about the prophets of the Old Testament. 
and gave me a new perspective than the fundamentalistic kind of conventional religious Baptist perspective I'd grown up with. I was thrown in with friends of Dr. Martin Luther King. This is in the 60s. Um, That was a fervent time for thinking about how your religious convictions call you to take stances for justice and peace and inclusion. Um, I went to law school, uh, fell in love with Thomas Merton, interestingly enough, a great 20th century spiritual giant, and was exposed to the idea of the false self versus the true self. And when we get in touch with our true self, that is what salvation is. And when we live uh, influenced by our false self, whether it's a false self that our culture has placed on us, or our parents, or our Sunday school teacher, or something inside ourselves, that's hell. That is separation from God. And to the degree that we can discover and live out of our true selves, we've got energy, and I think it's the energy of God, flowing through us. Well, um, that took great and deep root in me. I started reading much, much more about Thomas Merton than the law. That led me to leave law school because I didn't think that law school was my true self. That led me into ministry. And then in the course of my ministry in the Baptist church, I was ordained there first, I was asked to teach at uh, an Episcopal church not far from the campus where I was working was campus minister and dean of students back at my alma mater, um, uh, Mercer University. And uh, these people asked me to uh, teach at this Episcopal church. My wife, Hope, and I fell in love with the Episcopal church. We looked at one another after about five years of doing that and said, you know, we are Episcopalians. And so I went to my priest and said, I want to get into the Episcopal church. And that was another journey. It was a very rich journey, and it was in long ago, and I've had a, long story short, very rich, wonderful priesthood in the Episcopal Church. Wow. I actually identified with a couple things in there. I actually currently go to Mercer, the Atlanta campus, because I live in Atlanta, but I go to evening classes for, I'm getting my master's in clinical mental health counseling. So I identify with you in the Mercer bit. And then you mentioned working in campus ministry. Actually, my wife and I worked in campus ministry for a couple years, and then she actually still does. And then I don't right now, but I'm actually moving back into that in a few months there. So um, I'm loving a lot of what you have to say so far. Oh, love it. I, 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 well, I, I wish we had, well, we will make time outside this conversation to um, talk about who do you know and what of the dynamics in your life. Yeah. I, I love to do with people who um, have been formed in that environment of the Baptist church and in at Mercer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So fun. Hey, it's so about, it's all about what? Connections. It's all about yeah, connections. Life, That's right. Life That's is true. about relationship. It's about connectivity and interconnectivity. Absolutely. Well, it's one of the eight habits of love community. It is absolutely one of the eight habits of love. Yeah. Yeah. Robert um, wrote an article a while back and and talked about um, the not – Robert, I'm going to get this wrong, and I'm not going to do it justice, so you can correct <laughs> me. 
but I wrote about the night and he wrote about loneliness and um, and we have a little ebook um, about faith and mental health and uh, one of the pieces that he wrote for that book he talks about loneliness being his kryptonite and mm. and it's so true especially for those of us who find ourselves at the intersection of faith and mental health when you're struggling with depression and things like that and then you find yourself alone it's a nightmare. So one of those eight habits of love being community, it rings true for me big time. Yeah, it is so real. It is so palpable. And I guarantee it. I guarantee anybody, if they will live in with the practice or the habit of community, they will find themselves coming to love and that will give them the power to cast out fear in their lives. Absolutely. I love it. We actually, we talked with Hannah Brencher last week and she talked about that a bunch too, about how God works through people most powerfully in her life. Yes. And when we talked to Paul Young, who wrote The Shack, he talks about that, that we were created for relationship that when you look at the relationship of the trinity and then you look at us that you know uh, ever since god has ever been it's been about relationship so yeah it makes perfect sense to me (laughs) that is in our dna that is our true self and to the degree that we ever isolate we are getting away from how we were created i love it when you stay in touch with the way you are created you have energy, you have life, you have hope, you have ideas, you have in, uh, ways to plan and execute and solve problems in your own personal life and also in the life of the culture. So we want to talk a good bit today about meditation. I know that you're a meditation man because you have a meditation chair. And so anybody that has a meditation chair, uh, I feel like it has to be kind of a big deal in their life. So um, so tell us a little about the meditation chair and tell okay. us wh- how did you get started with this whole meditation thing? Let's Let's go from the assumption that our listeners aren't doing meditation, maybe are even a little leery about it and, oh, can yeah. Christians do that? Talk to us. Okay. Let me, uh, as an introduction, say uh, I'm, I'm, pull, I'm going to pull you back to my book here, Eight Habits of Love. We just talked about community and how essential it is to access the flow of love, which is the same thing as God in our lives. And here is another of the eight habits, and I call it in my book Stillness. And when you and I can get to stillness, it is another pathway into this ball of energy, love, which can help us overcome all of our problems. So oftentimes community works, interestingly enough, with stillness, because when you have a community of people who have this meditation or contemplative practice or the practice of going to stillness frequently, then a powerhouse uh, of a team. So to answer more directly your question how it got started, I was a priest 
and realized I had never had. Now, this is uh, spending a lifetime in church with a Baptist preacher father. This is having been ordained a Baptist preacher and then being ordained an Episcopal priest and coming to an awareness that I had never had any kind of instruction in what prayer is. So that was a shock. That was a wonderful shock because it led me to do something. And so I went to a convent, an Episcopal convent near Chattanooga at Swanee, Tennessee. And I said to the nun in charge there, the sister in charge, I need you to teach me how to pray. She said, absolutely. She gave me some instruction, sent me to my room, and then we talked over the course of three days about how it was going. Now, long story short, what I discovered is that meditation works. And when I when I use meditation, I'm here now not trying to distinguish between meditation, prayer, contemplation, or coming to stillness. For the purposes of our conversation right now, they're all synonymous. And what I discovered is when you allow your body, mind, spirit, and that's very important when I rush those three words together, body, mind, spirit, I'm seeing them, those parts of us, as one instrument. When you allow your body, mind, spirit to sink below what Dr. Howard Thurman calls the level of being quiet, down to the level of stillness, then there is a biochemical change in your body. There is a change in how your brain is actually functioning. There is an infusion of hope, love, creativity. There is this power to begin doing what Jesus told us to do, pray for our enemies, in fact, love them, and to begin praying for all the people and concerns that need our prayerful energy. It is a wonderful world to visit. And how the prayer chair came into being, I'm sitting in it right now, talking with you guys. I love it. Somebody gave me some money when I left one of my parishes to go to the next step. And I wanted to remember that parish. And I said, I need a chair to pray in. And so we used that money to buy a really beautiful, comfortable chair with an ottoman. And I started using that place to sit every morning to begin my day. And I labeled it my prayer chair. I've now had to have it recovered because it's more than 30 years old. It's so <laughs> so wonderful and so comfortable. And I put a, a little um, prayer shawl or um, light um, weight blanket over me. And I simply sit in this chair every morning, did it this morning before you and I got together on this conversation. And I wait and sink in 
to stillness and amazing and surprising things happen every day. So let me ask you, coming from kind of the counseling side of things, there's the, the practice of mindfulness. Is that, is that kind of related in with this stillness practice? It's very much related. Okay. So let me say that my intellectual um, interest, uh, even more than scripture and a lot of conventionally predictable things about a priest, my major interest and concern, which is really turning me on that you guys are interested in this too, is the interface of spirituality or theology and psychology. Yeah. And I absolutely am convinced that when we're talking about mindfulness, we're talking about what I'm talking about. Because it is to allow your mind not to get attached to thoughts or distractions, but to come back to over and over and over again, a thousand times during, say, one 15 or 30 minute period of practice, come back to stillness. And once you get attached to thoughts, then you're off on work and busyness. This is a time to give your mind rest in God or rest in love, in the force field, in the electromagnetic force field, energy field of love. Yes. So this is interesting to me because I think prayer, somewhere along the way we've gotten to where when I think of prayer, I think of, you know, God help me with this thing or I would like this thing or I'm about to take a test, so help me with, you know, it's, it seems like a lot of asking for the things right. that we think we need. But in even in yep. scripture, when, you know, the disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray, that's not yep. the route he takes. He says, you know, meditate on who the Father is, on what his will is. And so I've thought for a while now that maybe instead of trying to say, how can I align God with the things that I think I need and want, that it's more about lining myself up with what God's will is and what he thinks and wants. Is that in kind of the realm of, of what you're, you're going for? It's precisely on target. It excites me <laughs> so much that you're putting it that way because um, we deceive ourselves when we think that prayer is getting God to do our agenda. But actually what it is, is getting still enough so that we can hear God call us to do God's agenda. When we get in touch with God's agenda, for our lives and for the world more than we get in touch with our agenda for God to do, mm. then we are in a different state of being. We're in a different universe. It is the universe of the interconnectivity of all. Mm. It is the universe of oneness, of wholeness, rather than the universe of the separate self and the egocentric self determining the agenda for God and for our relationships and for the world. It's two very different ways to live. And the great thing is, this happens not only just in the prayer period when you're in your prayer chair, if you have a prayer chair or wherever you pray. It, in, it colors and impacts the rest of the day, how you lead the rest of your day. And just think about 
a friendship, a marriage, a family, a business, whatever, where a person is entering into it saying, I'm looking for God's will in this transaction rather than I'm coming in to make you all or try to make you all do my will. That's so and good. you can't talk you can't talk yourself into that. But I can't talk myself into that. I have to get into a, this prayer chair and be transformed into that attitude. It is the mind of Christ. You know, Paul says put on the mind of Christ. Sometimes Paul says you have the mind of Christ. That is what you that's when you get the mind of Christ is in that time of mindfulness, prayerfulness, contemplation prayer, whatever you call it. It's so good. It reminds me of when my wife and I were working at a campus ministry in England, actually, and we had uh, some time with the team there, and they had sent someone who was on kind of the steering committee of the larger organization to come out and spend a few days with us. And we sat down, and one day she she said, let's go around. Tell me why you're here, What like what your purpose is, why you're here. And so she goes around and asks us, and everybody says, you know, to love college students well or to, you know, things things along those lines, which you would expect. And it gets all the way around and it comes back to her and she says, those are all fantastic things, but why you are here is to become more Christ-like. And everything yeah. you just said will come out of that. And I remember it being this crazy, like, shift in my thinking of, I'm yeah. here to be more loving and to, to look more like Christ. And everything that we're trying to accomplish in any area is going to stem from yeah. that instead of focusing on the other things. Exactly. I had such a similar shift when I was in a meeting, and I think it was of campus ministers. This <laughs> wonderful yeah, harmony. The best. Yeah. So much resonance going on in this conversation this morning. But um, the question is, on whose terms are you here? And that is a fascinating, fundamental threshold question, because I realized that too often I was present. I was showing up on my terms rather than on the terms of love. Hmm. When I use the word love, I, I'm talking about God and Christ. Right, capital so, L, love. You got, you got it. Mm -hmm. uh, I could just sit and listen to this conversation all day long. Like when Ed starts talking, I don't even, I don't even like ask one question and just let him go. Sit back, press the mute button, and just let him roll. It's always so, so good. Oh my goodness. So... Ed, I haven't prayed like I grew up thinking about prayer in about three months. So I'm, I am very new to this meditation journey. I started um, by just doing guided meditation through a couple of different apps on my iPhone. And um, it has – it's changed my life. It has – calmed my soul like nothing else I've ever experienced before and calmed my mind in in ways I don't even know that I can put into words yet. I, From a mental health standpoint, I won't say meditation has cured my anxiety, um, but my gosh, it, it has – I don't – I can't even – I can't put it into words. It's done something at such a deep – deep, deep level in my life that now I can't go a day without meditating, where 
for years, and I've, I've grown up in the church all my life, and for years I would go days or weeks at a time without quote-unquote praying. I could live without it, but to live without meditation, I can't do it. Well, you're speaking my language, and I think you're speaking the language of creation. Because mm. when we stop long enough to feel what you're describing, then we are being who God created us to be. And um, the great thing about science is that it's teaching us that trees, birds, every other part of creation is doing this as a part of their normalcy. And too frequently we human beings think that the uh, strategies of our ego and our egocentrism is what we are supposed to do. And what we're supposed to do actually is do what you just described so beautifully. Mm. Can, I, can I tell you a story about what just happened to me last night? Yeah. So, um, and pardon my getting emotional in my telling you this story. You always make me cry, so bring it on. <laughs> so, um, one of my cousins, not first cousin, but kind of, I think, second cousin removed, was killed in the San Bernardino massacre. He was a food inspector and a, a great human being. Um, and his mother, um, with whom I went to high school and from whom I'd not heard in 30 years, maybe called me from out of the blue and asked me to come back to my hometown, which is Jessup, Georgia and preach his funeral. And I was so honored. And I was living in Los Angeles at that time. And he lived in Los Angeles and he lived with his soulmate, uh, a wonderful woman named Mandy. Um, and so I called her and asked her if, before I preached this sermon, if I could talk to her about him and his life and what was going on. Long story short, I went back to my hometown. I preached this sermon and uh, at, you know, standing in the pulpit over the ashes of Shannon. And here were his mother, his um, father's family, um, and then all of his tattoo artists, Latino tattoo artists who came from Los Angeles to Jessup, Georgia. His um, his fiancee, Mandy. And it was one of the most eclectic crowds I'd ever preached to. But I preached not only about him, but about the house of love. And how crucial it is to live in the house of love every day. And when you live in the house of love, you're safe. And when you live in the house of fear, you are absolutely insecure. You feel insecure and you do all sorts of crazy things to compensate and try to get some security when all you need to do is just simply step into the house of love. Well, yes, last night, um, some people posted on Twitter an excerpt from her speech, Mandy's speech, that she made um, that afternoon or maybe last Friday, at an, um, a gun control um, conference about women and gun control and women's experiences with guns. And she talked about the house of love and mentioned this 
sermon. And she said, in that, in the middle of that funeral, I began to feel safe, safe like I'd never felt before. And I realized that to the degree that I could build the house of love with all of my love-based friends and then live in that house of love, I could then, from the house of love, invite other people to develop the house of love for themselves and then live there so that they could, in turn, invite others to build the house of love for themselves. I just flipped out. It was you know, we all, a lot of us were raised with the term evangelism. Yeah. And evangelism too frequently means, you know, saving somebody from hell. Right. She had, she was an instrument for the good news, the evangelism of the house of love of God. So I just had to tell you all that. It uh, just happened last night. It was just isn't amazing. it beautiful when things like that come full circle? Oh, mm. absolutely. absolutely. All and right. Then, so, yeah, go ahead. But evolve out, you know? It yeah. Evolve the next, because she said it in a way I could never have said it. And it's a, an evolution. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, this book, Eight Habits of Love, is all about, and I don't have my book with me uh, because my wife has it and would not give it back to me. Uh, but. <laughs> But the book is all about, and I'm going to simplify it big time, but my, if, I, if I had to make it really simple, I would say it's all about what happens when love becomes the guiding and driving force of your life. Exactly. So you mentioned earlier in the interview, and I'll, I will make this our last question, Ed. Um, in a matter of two months, I, I have... Well, just a couple of months ago at the gathering that we were at together, I asked you the hardest question I've ever asked in my life. And I'm about to ask you another really hard question. So buckle up. Hard for me to ask, maybe not hard for you to answer. You mentioned the instruction from Jesus to pray for our enemies and even to love them. And so I want to ask you what that looks like in real life. And I want to give you a, a very personal example, um, which is my most difficult struggle right now. Um, so after a, a disagreement over my very strong belief that everyone has a place at God's table, which includes, or I guess you could say everyone has a place in the house of love, and I believe that includes all members of the LGBTQ community. Um, I wrote an article about it for AL.com, which my middle brother, I'm the oldest, my middle brother uh, got a hold of and, and sent me a series of unbelievably hurtful messages. And the most hurtful of all was the end of this rant. And he said, you should have taken a gun and blown your brains out instead of taking pills. Everyone knows that's the girl's way out. So this shows about faith and mental health. So when someone is supposed to love you well, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a mom, a dad, a spouse, and, and they know your lowest moment, they know your biggest mistake, they know that deepest, darkest part of you, and they take it and they throw it back in your face, right. how does someone best live out love 
towards someone that feels like an enemy at this point? How do you do that? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. That is so wounding. I know what that's like. And uh, it's really, really tough to come for that to come from a family member. So simply want to acknowledge that. Thank you. Then I want to say that what you are asking me about, the power to love that you are asking me, how do you do that? My first response is you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Become instrument for that to happen through you. So in my way of living and thinking and my core passions, which are in this book, Eight Habits of Love, it is that we are called to let ourselves, our soul, mind, body, spirit, go to a place where there is a dramatic reduction in obstacles within us to let that energy of love flow through us to the people who have wounded us. So Paul says at one point, it's not I, but Christ within me. That's the state of being that prayer can take us to or contemplation or mindfulness, meditation. It takes us to a place where we realize that all the things we most deeply, truly want are the things that Christ does with ease through us. If we will but take away the obstacles for that energy to work through us so that we are an instrument. The most important, I think, the most important decision we can make in any given moment is whether or not we are going to be an instrument of love or an instrument of fear. And my belief is that to the degree that we become vengeful, uh, resentful, tit for tat, paying somebody back, that we are in the force field or in the house of fear. And that what your brother needs more than anything else is to be loved apart from, in spite of what he has said. And he and it is very important for you to understand that that is not about you, that was about him. And it was about fear inside him and his being afraid. Mm. And to the degree you can have to the degree you can have that kind of compassion. And compassion, parenthetically, is a third habit of love that we've talked about here today. To the degree that you can exercise that kind of compassion to say, ah, that person's caught in the house of fear right now. Because you only say that when you're in the house of fear. Then you can pray for him. And if you've had your time of prayer yourself, where you ask God to take away all your obstacles of love, for, for love, against love, 
of your being an instrument of love, then you can express that, let that love flow through you to him, despite what he says. So much grace and so much wisdom. I don't know how in the world you do it, but it's just it's just incredible. Thank you so much well, for that me. answer. It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's grace flowing through me. That's right. It is. Well, you're a great instrument, Ed. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You so know, much it, fun oh, it's so much fun to have you on here. It, your response there, um, it reminds me of a story that I read about Corey Ten Boom. And uh, being at a, she was at a, a she was speaking at a church. Um, so I want to say it was in Germany. That would make sense. But um, long after the Holocaust, and she was speaking, and at the end of the service, an SS officer came up and said, "You know, isn't it great how God's grace and mercy covers us all, and this sort of thing?" And he reached out to shake her hand, and she said, "I." I I just froze. I I couldn't do it. And I kept having to pray, God, I don't have this forgiveness. I don't have this love in me. But as I reach out my hand, let your love, let your forgiveness, let your mercy and your grace that I preach about all day long, let it flow through me. Let your compassion flow through me because I don't have it in myself. So um, that those stories remind me of one another. And I think that's just beautiful. Well, thanks for invoking Corey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was. I think she was a wise, wise lady. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Definitely. Well, hey, if you want to connect with Reverend Ed Bacon, you can find him on Twitter at Rev, R-E-V, Ed Bacon, or at 8habitsoflove.com. If you want to connect with Steve, you can find him at IamSteveAustin.com or on social media at IamSteveAustin. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at Robert-Vore.com or on social media at Robert Vore. Ed, we want to thank you so much for being here today. Do you have any closing thoughts for the folks listening? Well, it's all gratitude. Um, I'm very moved by this conversation that you two reached out. Thanks, uh, Rob. Thanks, Steve. Um, it's it's all gratitude, isn't it? Um, to be grateful for every every gift, every moment. Um, I'll savor this forever and uh, look forward to all the connections it makes uh, with your listeners. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Definitely go get Ed Bacon's book, Eight Habits of Love. Open your heart, open your mind. Fantastic book. It will change your life if you let it. Ed, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.